The first reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 to 6. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. The second reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the first bone born over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile, himself, reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. <coughs>
I'd like to begin by relating to you some rules I heard recently about how children see the world. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. It seems today that self often rules. And we live in a very selfish society where most people are only interested in themselves, and that's not just toddlers. Many people live by the words of Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Or the Burger King rule, have it your way. Quite a lot of people want it their way. Jesus, however lived a different kind of life. He came to seek and to save the lost. His interest was people. His life centred on people. He went about doing good and healing all who were willing to submit to his power and believe in who and what he was. Jesus blessed the little children, soothed the hearts of hurting people, taught people about right living and how to have a lasting and fulfilling relationship with the true and living God. But sometimes we forget that Jesus had to submit too. He had to submit to his Father. Not just when things got tough, not just in those Gethsemane moments, but on a day-to-day basis. One of the greatest and hardest things that any of us can do in life is to say, God, not what I want, but what you want. Not my will, but your will be done. It's somewhat easy to say those words, but often hard to do. It's hard to submit or surrender. It goes against everything that the world seems to tell us. Self often rules. I was watching Charlie and the Chocolate Factory the other day, and there's a brilliant bit towards the end of the film where Willy Wonka offers Charlie his entire chocolate factory. It's an amazing offer, and it seems to answer all of Charlie's problems he turns him down. He turns him down when he finds out he can't take his family with him. We can often have chocolate factory moments. Those days when we are offered, when we have the opportunity, I'm thinking about chocolate, that's the problem, (laughs) to gain something amazing and wonderful. Maybe something that appears to solve all our problems 
But then we feel that perhaps God is pulling us in a different direction. And when that happens, what do we do? In the reading from Colossians, it says, May you live a life worthy of the Lord. It talks about being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. I can't believe that these gifts, these attitudes, this strength, endurance and patience are there purely for our own benefit. I can only believe that they are given so that we in turn may give of ourselves, so that we may be able to show others by our, by our lives and actions what it means to live for God in Christ. Not so that we gain, but so that others might. Some believe the way that we live out our faith and our trust in God is by what's called servant evangelism. Demonstrating loving service, but also lasting service. It's by not putting the emphasis on come and see, but on go and do. And go and do is definitely what Jesus did. Christ went and did. People came to see and hear what he had to say, and the same principle applies to the church today. What Jesus did in his human body, we must do as a body today. That mission and that purpose hasn't changed. An American pastor defined servant evangelism this way. It's doing small things with great kindness to unexpectedly interrupt a person's day with the love of God. I'm going to say that again. It's doing small things with great kindness to unexpectedly interrupt a person's day with the love of God. That sounds all very nice, doesn't it? But how do we do that? It might be something simple, like doing something, someone shopping for them. If the bad weather's come, now the bad weather's coming in, it might be offering somebody a lift. And that's only a couple of examples to show that we serve a servant God, that we care about others, and it's just one way of reaching out. And it's better than doing nothing. It can take moments for us, but it might mean the world to someone else. But how does something simple like taking someone shopping or offering a lift without actually telling them about Christ cause them to think about God? David once told me a story about a woman whose husband was a lecturer at a university. And every year she'd take the new overseas students over to her house and she'd feed them. She didn't speak about God or Jesus or church. She simply fed them until they asked why. 
And I wonder when, the, when was the last time somebody asked us why. Many Christians think we need to do more to let people know about Jesus, and some think there's a hierarchy to it. They think that someone who goes to a remote corner of the world to do mission work is somehow more Christian, more evangelistic than someone who offers to clear their neighbour's path when it snows, or who makes tea after morning service, or puts the chairs away. I believe we are all capable of making a difference for God in our own way. And it starts right here. Because if I may be so bold, it seems to be a waste of time to show people out there the love of Christ through our behaviour if we're not willing to apply the same rules here. (coughs) If we're not willing to apply the same rules here to the people we sit with, chat with, and have a cup of coffee with. The reading from Jeremiah speaks about placing shepherds over the remnant who is lost and having shepherds who will tend them so that they will no longer be afraid or terrified and that there will be not any missing. And I'd like us to ask ourselves, how can I be a shepherd How can I tend to those who are feeling outside of what happens in here? How can I look after those who are missing? Not just so we can score another notch on our Bibles, not so that we can claim because of anything we did, that person has started coming to church or rekindled their faith in God, but because it's what we're supposed to do. This week is Prisons Week, a time when we remember those who are in in prison because they've broken the law, either because they wanted to or because they were forced to. Some are in prison because of their faith or their belief. Whatever the reason, they've been separated from those that they love and some will miss out on births the deaths of loved ones or other significant events. Now, I've worked in prisons. They're not pretty places. And you may say, well, they deserve it. They broke the law. They were selfish. They took what was not theirs. And that may well be true. But they are still among the missing Missing from society, but not missing from God's thoughts or God's love. For those who don't know, I have a brother who's been in and out of prison since he could walk. He calls my family no end of pain and anguish and we lost count of how many times there was a Mariah at our door. He used to hurt people for a living, and his last stint was in Parkhurst for murder. 
Do I want a relationship with him? If I'm honest, no, not really, actually, thank you very much. He's six foot eight and schizophrenic. And he's a very angry man. But that doesn't mean that I don't love him, that I don't pray for him, that I don't pray for a time when he reaches out to God and realises that he is not outside God's love. He's part of the remnant. He's one of the missing. He's one of those people who have taken a wrong path and has ended up with a damaged life. He's one of the people who need to feel the care of the shepherd and the safety of the sheep pen. I'd like us to take us right back to the beginning of the service and the call to worship. As you remember, it was taken from Luke chapter 1. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now that was a passage talking about somebody else in a different time but I still think that it could apply to us here. We all have the knowledge and the tools to tell people about God, about Jesus, and we have our experiences of God that we can share. We might not be able to recite chapter and verse, but we are able to show what we believe through what we do and what we say. So what I'd like us to do is to consider this. How can I stop being a Christian and start doing it? How can I turn what I say and pray into what I do to bring people closer to God? And how can I put my life in the hands of Jesus and allow him to show me the next step? I'd like to finish with something from Gerard Kelly that I blatantly pinched out of a magazine. I hope at the end you'll agree with it. We believe every human being has a worth worth seeing. Every name is a sound worth saying. Your potential, a prayer worth praying. You see coal, God sees diamonds. We believe in the grace of the gifts God gives, his breath in everything that lives, greater gifts to be discovered deep in you, disguised, dust-covered. You see coal, God sees diamonds. We see God seeking a servant's generation Kindness as the kindling to kick-start transformation. Love as liberation of a captive creation. We are digging for the diamonds God sees. <laughs>